Welcome back to Answer Religious Era. Thank you so much for joining us today as we continue our series called the Live Bible Q&A. And this is your chance to ask any questions that you might have. You can do so live on the program if you're watching us through our Facebook page or the YouTube channel. We'll try to get to those questions if we can. And since we have a backlog of questions that have been asked before, we try to get to some of those first. So be patient with us as we uh, uh, spend a few moments uh, you know, contemplating the answers and uh, discussing those things. So if you put a question live, make sure it's on the answering religious error page. If you are watching a shared page on someone else's feed, uh, we won't be able to see those questions or comments. So we're not trying to ignore anybody or uh, delay anybody, but uh, you'll just have to give us a little time. The best way to reach us is send us an email, questions at answeringreligiouserror.com. You may think of a question sometime Thursday evening and want to get it to us, send it to us uh, through that means, and we'll add that to our list for our future shows. So hang in with us for a couple of weeks, and we'll try to get to that. We also have a section we call Meme Time, where we discuss memes, religious memes, or anti-religious memes floating around the internet that seem to grab a lot of, of people's attention. And uh, sometimes we need to be wary of some of the things that we read. So if you find one out there that's concerning, please send that to us. We'll consider it for the show. Send that again to questions at answeringreligiousera.com. That's about our Wednesday show, which we're about to start in a moment. But we want to remind you that on Tuesdays, we have a live Bible study. We've been doing this uh, in a panel style for a long time, but we're taking a little break and going solo for the months of November and December. And uh, we've had Brother Terry Benton, Bob Myhan bring us lessons on um, on various things over the past few weeks. Next week, Nick Greenman is going to be bringing us a lesson on Tuesday at noon Eastern time. So again, that's the live Bible study to, uh, Tuesdays at noon Eastern time. And then once we wrap up with those uh, individual lessons in December, we're going to turn our attention back to the panel studies looking at the book of Ephesians. Mark Dunnigan is preparing some material for us to discuss maybe about 12 or so lessons in regard to the book of Ephesians. You'll want to tune in for that and get ready for the new year as we approach January 2024. We want to remind you, as uh, always, that you can start each day, Monday through Friday, with the Daily Answer podcast. If you're not a podcast listener, learn how to become one. It's, uh, it's a real treat just to be able to listen to that uh, through your say your home speakers, your computer, your phone. It's one of the easiest ways to access uh, Bible material when you um, uh, can listen and not necessarily have to sit and watch a video. Brother Mark Dunnigan uh, brings us the daily answer every Monday through Friday as early as 5 a.m. You can listen to a podcast at any time. You can replay it as many times as you want. And um, you've got about 300 episodes there to be able to enjoy. So start your day with the Daily Answer podcast. We'll talk about a couple of the things uh, toward the end of our program here. But let's introduce the men who will be discussing your questions today. Uh, we have Bob Myhan with us. We have Terry Benton, Mark uh, Gibson. Great to have you on our Wednesday show. Uh, Mark Dunnigan and Nick Greenman. Uh, good to always have a full house. I love it when we can rely upon a lot of good minds and uh, good men of the spirit to uh, be able to answer your questions. So good to see you. Uh, let's start with a prayer. And uh, Brother Gibson, would you mind leading us in that prayer? And then we'll, we'll get into our studies for today. Sure thing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for another day of life and for the opportunity to search your word, to find answers to the questions that we often have. We are thankful, Father, for the guidance of your word, and we're thankful for the revelation that you have provided for us that we might know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. We pray, Father, that all that we say and do today will be to your glory and to the help of all who are listening today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Uh, as always, we uh, uh, want to remind everyone that we are uh, answering your live questions here on the live Bible Q&A for Answering Religious Error. And we like to start our segments with a segment we call Meme Time. Okay, our meme today comes comes as they often do through um, uh, particular atheist views. And um, the point, uh, reading this, in case you're listening to it in a podcast form, there are almost 5,000 gods being worshipped by humanity. But don't worry, only yours is right. Of course, this is said in a mocking way. Uh, 
to the fact that uh, everybody believes their God is the right God. Of course, I think there's a trend in the world today where a lot of people are trying to become acceptance of, of any God anywhere. Uh, but even then, people seem to have limitations. How would we answer something like this? And uh, what are your thoughts? Who'd like to start? Well, I'd, I'd ask the question, how many can be right? Um, it's, it seems to me that that uh, contradicting gods can't all be right. So it really comes down to you either going to have one or none. And then it comes down to this. So I turn this question back to the atheist. I ask, uh, why does he pretend that only he's right? Uh, and all 5,000 of these gods, including the one that revealed himself, in Jesus Christ, even that one is wrong, while this atheist claims that he's the only one right. It seems to me that he's uh, contradicting himself, and uh, he's saying, don't worry, I'm right. Uh, but that's, uh, that's con contradictory to the actual evidence. There is one true and living God that created all things, and he revealed himself. He revealed himself in the prophets of Israel. He revealed himself directly in the person of Jesus Christ in the first century in the region of Israel. And he revealed himself with great miracles and signs that even the Jews that rejected him could not deny. Uh, he revealed himself in his resurrection. He was declared to be the son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. Romans 1, verse 3 and 4. He has revealed himself in the prophetic word that's made more sure. 2 Peter 1, verse 16 through 20. And, and not only that, but he declared himself to be the son of God with so many miraculous signs that even to this day, as we look at the record of eyewitnesses from the first century, nobody, friend or foe, could deny the miracles of Jesus. So uh, I would say, yeah, Jesus would have the right to say, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life and no man comes to the father except by me. Jesus could challenge people. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. So yes, I have a, I have an inclination based upon the total evidence to say, well, Jesus is right. And the atheist is absolutely wrong. Those are my thoughts. Who else would like to jump in there? Well, the Apostle Paul, uh, what Terry said was great. I appreciate that very much. The Apostle Paul pretty much said the same thing as he says there at the top of that meme there in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 when he's talking about idols and so forth. He said there, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 8, even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords. Well, Paul said, yeah, there's a, a lot of gods that are worshipped by humanity. He said, verse 6, yet for us, there is only one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. So Paul said, yeah, there are a lot of gods, idols, faults, uh, deities that are worshipped by humanity, but he said, yeah, there's one that is right, and I guess he would mock Paul here, but you know, Paul made a great change in his life. He was once a, a fierce persecutor of Christians and of the way, uh, those who followed Jesus, but he changed all of a sudden. He turned completely around 180 degrees and began to preach the gospel of Christ. Now, I wonder if something fake caused that. I doubt it. If something contrived caused that, no. The only thing that could have changed that persecutor, uh, Saul of Tarsus, to become Paul the apostle willing to give his life and 
more than likely did, we understand, for the gospel uh, was something true and right. So he, I believe he would say, yeah, what I believe is right. And Paul was an apostle who did miracles, and, uh, and he was changed by seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul becomes a, 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 an evidence himself that, yeah, there's a lot of falsehoods out there, but there is one right way, and it was the gospel that Paul preached that is the right way. You know, I appreciate everything that's been said, both by Terry and by uh, Mark. But I want to make the observation that there is no denial in this meme of any gods. It seems to me here there is the admission that there are 5,000 gods being worshipped. He does not deny their existence, only affirms that they are being worshipped. Then he says, but don't worry, only yours is right. And so... Even there, he's not denying the existence of the God that I worship. He's just denying or bringing into doubt as to whether it is right uh, to worship the God that, that I worship. But if there is no God, there can be no right. There can be no wrong. There can be no right God to worship. There can be no wrong God to worship. And so again, if, if atheism is right, then it really doesn't make a difference whether you worship any God, much less the right God. And so I, I think it's strange. He, he comes across more as a polytheist uh, than an atheist believer in many gods rather than a believer in no God. Hey, Bob, that was a good comment. I like what Terry had said too, of when you actually kind of look at the meme, it, when you look at it from that perspective, it's like what they're saying is like, okay, you're in the wrong because you only believe in one, but the writer in the meme is saying, well, I believe in none. <laughs> so it, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, Chris, when you take a look at that. And Bob makes a good point. I mean, if there's no absolutes, then anything goes. Those are my thoughts. All right. All right. Any other thoughts on that then? Okay. All right, um, let me remove that and we'll get into our questions for today. If uh, we can give any clarification on some of these things, please email us questions at answerreligiousera.com. We'd be happy to discuss those things with you a little more personally. We have a couple of questions that deal with uh, disciplinary action within the church. Our first one is, what happens when a whole congregation of the Lord's church brings in doctrines that are contrary to the teachings of Christ? How does the brotherhood deal with them? Who'd like to take this? Well, I'd, I'd start out saying uh, if a whole congregation apostatizes and nobody in the congregation says anything about it, somebody uh, did a masterful job of bringing error in there without it being challenged at all. And that, that seems very strange that that could happen. And then, uh, you know, any visitor that comes there uh, doesn't even notice the teaching is all uh, is wrong, is fabricated, or that it is the doctrines and teachings of men. So what happens when a whole congregation of the Lord's church brings in doctrines that are contrary Somebody needs to speak up, whether it's the, per the members there, if they're willing to go along with the error. Uh, then somebody that visited, visits eventually notices this, this trend that, that has taken place, and, and they speak up. Uh, but there is no brotherhood headquarters, at least not in the Lord's Church, that is a, a watchdog for all the congregations. So if you're talking about um, do you have a brotherhood watchdog that, uh, that keeps an eye on each congregation and then reports to the, the bigger body or the larger body? I'd say, well, no, there's not such a thing as that either now or in the first century. You didn't have such a, an organization that was a brotherhood watchdog that uh, reported to the rest of the churches what Church A was doing over there. Sometimes individuals find out and tell it around and then, then it gets noticed, but uh, there is no organization. So um, you know, the, the brotherhood doesn't deal with them. Jesus is directly the head of the church. 
That is, he's the head over the universal body. If a congregation falls, uh, then it falls. And it may not be uh, that anybody can restore them back, even though individuals may try. Uh, but uh, that's the beautiful thing about the autonomy of local churches, that each church is local, that when a, a certain church stumbles into error and every member there is okay with it, uh, that does not necessarily affect any other congregation. And so every other congregation is independent of that and can go on. You can, you can have... Uh, Say, for example, the church at Corinth, they're entertaining all these kind of errors and Paul writes his letter to them and they repent and they straighten up. Well, that's great. Uh, if they didn't, though, that doesn't mean that the church at Ephesus falls with it or the church at Thessalonica falls with that congregation. So uh, you can read uh, Revelation chapter two and three and see these seven churches and some of them had uh, major issues. And if they didn't repent, then the, the, the promise was that, that God would take away their right to be a light for him. Their lampstand is taken away. Well, that would be that local congregation if they didn't repent. Uh, but there's nothing else said about uh, other congregations responding or doing something about that particular local congregation's flaws. Uh, John is an apostle and he writes to them and said, this is what the spirit says to the churches and you better take it to heart. If you don't, then your lampstand will be taken away. So uh, those are my thoughts. Uh, what happens is there's not a brotherhood dealing with an apostate church that I know of. There is individual reaction that uh, when we learn, uh, learn about the, the, the flaws in another congregation, if we have some influence, we try to use it individually, but that's about as far as, as uh, any of that goes. Those are my thoughts. Any other thoughts in regard to that? All right. I think it was covered well um, in regard to our individual responsibility versus congregationally. Um, this next question is very lengthy. Uh, it was submitted a few weeks ago, and um, um, let me see here. I'm going to have to bring it up in more of a PowerPoint kind of slide so we can fit the whole thing. Um, it's, it's a very personal uh, situation uh, that a uh, viewer uh has found themselves in, of course, no names are mentioning anything like this. And um, we're going to just put it up and kind of share our thoughts in regard to it. Uh, I can't say that I understand uh, entirely uh, everything that's being asked here, but maybe it's something we can kind of discuss. Um, when we look at, let's see, hello again, another question for you. My husband was baptized at 17 and continue to meet with the church for a few months, maybe a little bit longer after that. A few years later, after my husband and I met and were married, I was taught the truth by a friend and I was baptized. My husband has attended worship services with me and our sons on and off over the years. I worship with a very small congregation now, and he is attending worship services with me regularly, but he does not partake of the Lord's Supper, and he makes it known that he is not a member of the church. Over the years, my husband has been a huge help to the church in various ways, and to some of those with whom we meet now, he has become quite indispensable. Most of the congregations we have worshipped with felt he was to be treated as an unbeliever. They did not encourage withdrawal. My husband was baptized without understanding its importance. He says he did not even realize that he had sins that needed to be forgiven. He said he was baptized because it was just the thing that people did. Some years ago, one preacher said that my husband needed to be withdrawn from. If I understand him correctly, it is because he was named a Christian, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11. So regardless, if my husband's baptism was for the right reason or not, withdrawal was deemed necessary. And to be honest, to some extent, I can see the man's point of view. I'm hoping you can discuss this subject sometime when you are able. And uh, gives us uh, their thanks. 
So uh, pretty lengthy. I think this is a familiar situation that we've probably seen from time to time. So how would we address this? Um, and uh, what point of view would you, would you take on, on this thing? Any thoughts? Well, he, uh, this man doesn't consider himself to be a member of the church, then we certainly can't consider him to be a member of the church either. And therefore, the responsibilities would be uh, based on some other passage, like, for example, does he consider himself to be a Christian? I mean, he doesn't identify with this particular local, local church. But does he consider himself to be a member of the Lord's universal church? And does he consider himself to be a Christian, a saved individual? If he does, then by not joining himself to a local uh, congregation, uh, and he's given himself plenty of time to do so, then he's not faithful to the Lord. So, so you, the discussion needs to be made by the wife to her husband. Do you consider yourself a Christian? If you are, you are a fallen Christian. That is, you have not obeyed the Lord in his requirement that you join yourself to a group of disciples. In Acts chapter uh, 9, Paul, after having been converted, went to Jerusalem and he tried to join himself to the disciples there in Jerusalem. They were suspicious of him. And, uh, and Barnabas gave, uh, gave his uh, uh, recommendation that they accept him. Uh, and so there is a requirement for a congregation to be suspicious of somebody that does not identify themselves or they have reason to suspect they're not a Christian, then that needs to be put on the table. You need to discuss that. She needs, the, the wife needs, needs to ask these questions. Do you consider yourself to be a Christian? And if so, how can you go these years without joining yourself to a local band of disciples? How can you be faithful to the Lord and not do the very thing that he expects every disciple to do. He can't, uh, God doesn't have floaters, that is, those that don't have to join themselves to a local band of disciples. Uh, and and if, if this man thinks that he's the, the exception to that general rule that you see, uh, either spoken or implied in the New Testament, if he thinks that he can be the exception to that rule, he needs to wake up because you cannot be faithful to the Lord and disassociate yourself from a local band of disciples when you have the opportunity to be a part of that local church. So she needs to talk to him. Do you, dis uh, do you consider yourself to be faithful? Now, this would come under Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 that you who are spiritual restore such a one considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, restore him to the position of what a right, a, a Christian needs to do the responsibilities he needs to take on. And if he's not willing to do that, then, uh, uh, then, then the, uh, then let it be known. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be faithful to the Lord. Or he might even tell the, the local church he does or he thinks he's a Christian, but he's, he needs somebody to help him open his eyes. Um, let's see. Did Terry freeze up on us? All right. Nick, why don't you go ahead and jump in there and uh, maybe we'll get Terry back in just a minute. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes the obvious situation is what we have to deal with uh, him in this situation is unique. Uh, I have over the years experienced, I think almost at every congregation, uh, quirky members. And when I say quirky members, I'm talking about little weird situations like this, you know, people who are, who are faithful attendees, but yet they, for some reason, hold themselves back or, or something of that nature. Uh, for example, there was this one gentleman 
he came every Sunday evening and every Wednesday evening. He didn't want to come Sunday mornings. I don't know why, <laughs> but Sunday evenings, he was there every week. Wednesday evenings, he was there every week. Whenever we sent aid to uh, brethren who were in terrible need, such as a hurricane or something like that, the dude pulled out of his own pocket and sent thousands of dollars, right? I mean, he was a very generous and benevolent man. Uh, and all intents and purposes, you know, he was seemed like a Christian straight across the board. Uh, however, he was never baptized and it didn't matter how many times the elders talked to him. It didn't matter how many times I talked to him. Uh, he just did not want to, uh, you know, be baptized and, and we could never figure out the reason why. And one day I was sitting there talking to him and he finally opened up to me and he said, it is not right for a Christian to be racist. And I'm a racist. And, and he, he just, for some reason, couldn't give that up. I know he knew it was wrong, but he just didn't want to give it up. And he just didn't feel like he was uh, able to be baptized because of it. Uh, I tried to encourage him to say, look, uh, you become a Christian and you let the Lord work on you. You know, you, you grow as a Christian. You know, these things that you, you got to overcome. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away before he ever was baptized. Another situation is a, a guy who was a, well, I thought was a church hopper. He knew Chris Kramer. He knew uh, Keith Burnett. He come in and says, hey, you're, you're Nick Grimm. who's on that radio program with those guys. And I was like, yeah. Um, he was 80 something years old and he just he knew everything. He there was nothing he did not know. <laughs> and he comes in on Wednesday night randomly and he uh, he finally comes to me uh, the next Wednesday night says, hey, I'm an I'm an alien sinner. I need to be baptized. Uh, it's, it's funny how people know all of this stuff and then they uh, something finally clicks with them or it doesn't. I pray that it does happen. And in this particular case, it did. And he was baptized in August and passed away in February. So that's a good story. That's a, that's a story that ends in, on the good term. But these it's so strange. How do we navigate these these uh, quirky uh, attendees? Uh, sometimes there's something deeper happening that we just cannot touch that needs to be addressed. The only thing that we can address are these uh, surface area things. Um, and, and sometimes that's not really what needs to be addressed. There's something deeper that needs to be penetrated. And, and I don't know how to get to that. Sometimes uh, I did with that one fella, but still it just wasn't enough. Chris. Great to be back. I had a propane delivery show up for the van, so I had to run over and check on that. Um, when I look at this question, Chris, I'd like to say a couple of things to the, the, the wife here. Um, I know she says that her husband's been quite indispensable. Okay. And I assume that's like helping out, you know, whatever, doing things at the building, work days, or, you know, someone needs a ride. But there's a sense he's been a big stumbling block, too you know, is that um, he's he's not remembering Jesus on the first day of the week in communion, the Jesus that died for him. And so I, I see a, a couple things that I would like to tell the wife here of, um, I don't think he's been indispensable, okay? Because it looks like everywhere he's gone, people view him as an unbeliever. If they view you as an unbeliever, you're not indispensable. And the other thing I would note, Chris, is that he says he says here that he didn't even realize he had sins when he was baptized. Now, may, maybe if you're four years old <laughs> or whatever, but Chris, I mean, when you were even 10, 11 or 12, did you realize you'd done wrong already or lied or looked at something you hadn't looked at or whatever? Man, I think you got to be pretty young not to realize that you've got some sin on your account. That to me doesn't sound quite right. It bothers me like I'm not going to remember Jesus. And so I think, man, I think there needs to be an on it. Look, Chris, it looks like a lot of people are talking here, but no one's really talking to him, especially his wife. And I would say you need to sit down with your husband and say, where are you spiritually? What do you really believe? Nick Nick's makes a good point. We need to get down to like what what's not some people will give you like, well, here's here, here's reason number 10 while I'm not going to be baptized, or here's reason number 10 while I'm not going to place membership. Okay, but I want to hear reason number one. I want to hear the real reason. And I think sometimes it is, I think sometimes there's head this hesitancy of 
as long as I'm not a member, I can sit back here, Chris, and kind of be a backseat driver sometimes. And I, I don't have to fully commit and I can kind of hold on certain things. And it could be like, well, like with like the rich young ruler, I'm not willing to 100% buy in. And if that's the case, then you should not be baptized or be a member until you're ready to. But I guess the thing for him is, but don't pretend that just showing up and helping out on work days or whatever is going to get you anywhere, right? That's not gaining any points, so to speak. Um, Jesus said, if you're not with me against me, that is, if you're not all in, you're running interference. And so, Chris, those are some of my thoughts. Yeah, and I think with such a, a lengthy uh, oration here, um, there are probably some things that maybe we don't understand in, in its fullness. I mean, when I when I read a couple of things, there's a couple things that come to my mind that maybe, you know, she's trying to imply, uh, you know, for instance, um, you know, yes, I mean, we, we look at people as, as, you know, being good helpers within a congregation. Cornelius was a man, you know, like that, who helped the Jews and he, he built the synagogue for them. I mean, he, he did a lot of things, but he was never a Jew, nor could he be. Um, and, you know, so you have people that do good things, but again, those good morals alone does not make a man a Christian or a member of a church. One of the problems that I think that some congregations get themselves struggling with is people becoming kind of like honorary members. <laughs> uh, they're, they're not obedient to the Lord through, you know, the particulars that we teach in regard to salvation and being a part of his church. But because they're constantly, you know, coming and, and worshiping and 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 you know they're there singing and partaking of a lot of things, we a lot of folks get used to that, and a lot of folks get used to the fact that you know they they appear to be one of our members here. People start calling them brothers and sisters, um, and so yeah, we we have to have an even balance there. Uh, you know, one of the things, and I'm trying to look over a couple things here. Um, when it comes to the the baptism, I have run into a lot of cases over the years where people were baptized and eventually determined that they didn't do it for the right reason. Um, and I understand that. I remember a girl one time wanted to be baptized again. And I was like, well, ma'am, you, you were baptized. I was there. <laughs> I had administered that myself, but she said, no, I just did it to please my parents. And I said, well, that, that's another thing. I can understand the need to be immersed because there's just one baptism. And if it's not in the right way for the right reasons, then it's just getting wet. So I, I can understand this point here. Uh, one of our viewers makes the point, the wife stated that her husband doesn't even partake of the Lord's Supper. To me, it sounds like he doesn't consider himself an actual Christian. And, and we've addressed that. Mark, I think you mentioned that. And I think that's, uh, I think that that's correct there. And, you know, again, if it's something that an individual's doing just to get out of the responsibility of becoming a Christian, being a member of church, he'll have to answer to God uh, for that someday. But each of these cases comes down to an individual, uh, you know, discussion. Mark, like you said, somebody needs to go to him and talk to him in details about these things. Come away with an answer. Let's study about these things. I think a lot of times we let things ride to the point that we just want to give a flat you know, this is this and that is that, and he needs to be withdrawn from, or he needs to be dealt with in this way and so on. And that's not necessarily the case here. You've got to get down to the nitty gritty. There's a lot of things that we don't understand or know, but a lot of people are in various and similar situations. Uh, another individual writes, sounds like she's wanting to do what is right without discouraging him or pushing him away. He does need to be taught and to get off the fence. And that's an excellent point because yeah, we, we deal with one another in, with a very delicate balance. Uh, we don't want to offend people. We don't want to drive them away. We want to, and even as you know, the scripture says in, in Peter's letters, um, a wife to a husband you know, can influence him without a word, you know, win him over. And I've seen that happen before as well. So uh, you know, how we deal with this sometimes come down to very individual situations as well. So I think sometimes um, you know, people are doing the best that they can trying to size up the situation as best as they can. And um, so um, any other thoughts on this before we go on? Um, I, I think to properly answer in some detail, we might want to 
have a sit down study, you know, with this individual over, over this issue. But uh, any other thoughts you guys like to share before we go on to the next question? I just wanted to share that there was a man in Alabama whose son is a gospel preacher. And he was like in his 70s before he ever became a Christian. But uh, all his life before becoming a Christian, he knew and understood the truth. Uh, I say he understood it to some extent. He didn't fully understand it or he wouldn't have put off his baptism. But uh, he knew he had no business eating the Lord's Supper. He would not, but he would attend services with his family. And uh, he could defend the truth against those who would detract from it. And uh, my heart rejoiced when my friend told me that his father was finally baptized in his mid to late 70s. And so hope springs eternal. As long as there's life, uh, breath left in one's body, there is the possibility that they could repent. Uh, confess their faith and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins and truly begin to live for God and for Jesus Christ. Uh, but uh, nothing happens in a vacuum. So we need to encourage prayers and uh, encouragement on the part of the on the part of the wife. Yeah, don't do anything to cause him to think he's all right with God. Bob, that's a good, that's a great point. Cause I knew a couple like that and she, she was never baptized, but her mom and dad were Christians, Chris, and she would come, she married a Christian and, you know, she would be there every service Wednesday night, Sunday night, be there, uh, but just had never committed. And finally, after 20 years of marriage, she just looked at her, Chris and said, we have nothing in common. We, we are headed in two different directions. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to head to heaven and, and you're not. And, you know, we just at, at, at a very and I mean, certainly there's an appropriate time for that conversation of. I really want to be in heaven with you, you know, but right now we're on two different tra trajectories and and hopefully we're not pretending we're not pretending. Yeah. Uh, but great comments, Bob. Yeah. There is hope. There is hope. There's going to be some situations God's going to have to judge. I mean, I've seen a situation before with an individual just decided to go off the deep end in his morality and wanted to live worldly. And just basically after having been an example and a Christian for many years, uh, just one day kind of up and said, I never believed all that anyway. I mean, that's, you know, it's pretty obvious what needs to be done in those, those situations. But yeah, I'd say eventually it comes down to a crunch time where a decision has to be made and uh, you know, getting right with God. So I, I don't know what it is that keeps people just kind of uh, back. There's something as one of the examples given where somebody just doesn't want to follow through with, with repentance. And, uh, you know, I understand the need for not wanting to play the part of the hypocrite, but it comes down to the fact that you need to work on making things right, uh, to the, to the best uh, of your ability. Terry, did you have another comment? Yeah. One other thing that caught my attention just now was that she says that he comes, but he does not partake of the Lord's supper. Uh, Sometimes people think or, or mistakenly think that I've got to be worthy to take the Lord's Supper. And they never feel worthy of that. And um, I think that's a mistaken view of what Paul was making, meaning by taking it in a worthy manner. The worthy manner that he's speaking of is to do it with conscious uh, memory uh, of our reflection on what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's the worthy manner. Taking it just to be eating something, uh, no, that's not a worthy manner. So uh, in one sense, uh, we're, we would never feel worthy of what Jesus did for us, and, and, and rightly so. I'm not worthy of that. Uh, nobody is worthy of the Son of God giving his life on the cross for us. But God loved us that much he wanted to. So taking the Lord's Supper, I think she can she can work with him if that's his hang up. I don't know that it is, 
But if that is his hang-up, that he just feels unworthy, somebody needs to talk to him about what that means uh, rather than, than him thinking, I'm not worthy to be a member of the local church, and therefore I'm not going to take the Lord's Supper, but I'll help out in other ways. I'm just not worthy. If, if that's the hang-up, and I'm not saying it is, but if that's one issue there to explore and she finds that that's the case, then somebody needs to talk to him about what that means. Those are my thoughts. Excellent thoughts. And of course, you know, the more we talk, the more we come up with, uh, you know, other ideas as well. I mean, one of the things that comes to my mind too, is that, um, you know, here's an individual that's already stated that he did not feel his baptism was valid. I think that kind of answers the question in regard to his membership that, that he's not, he's stated he's not. Uh, I think that's pretty clear cut. I can't force somebody. I can't in my mind say, well, you're, you're really a Christian you know, so therefore, you know, this is the responsibility we have to take toward you. Um, but at the same time, you know, Paul judged situations from afar. I mean, uh, you look at the situation in first Corinthians chapter five, you know, he wasn't there, but he says, I, you know, I see the situation for, you know, right versus wrong. And, and this thing is right. This thing is wrong. Um, this is how you deal with it. And he says, I've already made that determination. God made a determination long before we ever come into an understanding. Now, I say all that to also say this. On this program, we are in some ways being delicate, but hopefully truthful where the Bible's concerned. Not knowing every specifics of a situation like this, we are not trying to tell a congregation what to do. Uh, we are not trying to tell the local you know, authority of, of elderships or whatever, the preachers that are there, uh, that they're right or wrong, unless it's a clear-cut thing. So we are not trying to usurp any kind of authority over individual autonomy of these congregations. We're not saying that the rules are different for everybody. We're not saying that, uh, but just um, based on the information that we have here, those are just some of the encouragements and ways that we would encourage you to pursue it. So we know in some ways there may be some direct answers. We may have left some things vague, but it is a worthy discussion. So we appreciate your patience in that. Any other thoughts then before we go on to our, uh, probably our next couple of questions, last questions. All right. All right. Appreciate uh, y'all's thoughts in regard to these things. And uh, it's a situation that uh, a lot of people might find themselves in. But we also want to uh, encourage people to uh, that our goal is to bring a soul to the Lord. And if we can help in any way, please reach out and let us know. Questions at answeringreligiousair.com. Let's go back to a question that sometimes pops up from time to time, especially since the days of of COVID and a lot of practices that churches found themselves getting into. Sorry, the question's big, so I've covered up some of the men on the screen. So if you speak, I'll bring you up to the top. Uh, in Hebrews 10, 25, we are told not to fortake, forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I was wondering, does that assembling mean strictly a physical assembly, or can it include any type of assembling such as online? Granted, I know that they don't have the resources that we do now, but generally speaking, could it include different types of assembling? Who'd like to take that? I remember a lot of discussion on this show during yeah during the COVID, as you mentioned there, Chris. I wasn't a part of that, so I'll say a few things here to get it started. Um, course we need to remember that things change technology changes and so forth <clears throat> but that doesn't necessarily change what the bible says and the intent of what the bible is saying in debates on the interpretation of the constitution of the united states there's a principle that's usually emphasized at least on the conservative side of that discussion and that is the principle of original intent and I think that's valid here also, is what was the original intent of what the principles of assembling in the New Testament. There was clearly a difference between assembling together in person and being at home. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 11, where he tells them about their abuses of the eating of the Lord's Supper to, to do their general eating at home, not when they come together to eat the Lord's Supper. So there was a clear difference between a person being at home and a person being assembled or coming together. And that the original intent of that was the idea that we come together physically to do things together physically, to sing, to pray, to take the Lord's Supper, to 
study the Word of God. And that is not simply to be disregarded because of the advances of technology and so forth, to say, well, we can come together while we're still at home and somehow mix all that to, uh, together and confuse people as to that. Now, uh, indeed, during COVID, we, we talked about that if there was no other way uh, that brethren could get together, there might be, uh, you know, just a, a certain thing to do in the meantime, but that is never a means to circumvent what we're supposed to do. If we're able to come together, if there's nothing preventing that, we're to do what the Bible says and to come together in one place uh, to worship together. Uh, we are not to use some kind of excuse to say, well, we could do it online. Let's just do it that way. No, that's circumventing the original intent of our coming together to worship together in a physical way. That was the intent of what the Lord has, and technology is not going to change that. And so uh, the idea of the question here, does assembling mean strictly a physical assembly? I say, yeah, absolutely, it does. And uh, and we should that should be our practice because that was the practice of New Testament saints. And again, human technology should not give a reason to circumvent the teaching and practice that we see in the New Testament. And those are very good, good thoughts there. Um, how, how would I speak... How, how can we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs without us being able to see each other or be in the presence of one another? How can you greet one another as the New Testament uh, instructs without being in the presence of one another? So there, there are ways that... Uh, that getting together, coming together in one place. And that's what you read in 1 Corinthians 11 and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, coming together in one place. Uh, and then being able to edify the church, edify each other, build one another up. And that's the whole idea of, of Hebrews 10, 24, is to consider one another, uh, to, to uh, encourage one another. And you do that by being together in one place and being able to share things that are important to you together. And, and I, don't, I don't think that you can fulfill those requirements of the, the together things together in one place, the greeting and speaking to one another and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to joining together in prayer and and uh, communing in the Lord's Supper uh, together. Those are not things that you can just separate out uh, from from one another's presence and then think that you fulfill the requirement of the Lord. Uh, I, I think that gives a false sense of uh, of accomplishment uh, that really doesn't fulfill what God is expecting of you. So so keep that in mind that the the assembly is God's idea, and uh, God has given some things to do in that assembly together, and things that you can't do staying at home. Those are my thoughts. One one thing that uh, comes to my mind, and I can't see myself, Chris. You you got me blocked here. <laughs> you look better that way, Nick. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, sure, there's going to be exceptions from time to time. Like COVID was a very crazy moment in, in our history. Uh, exceptions can never establish the rule. We just need to, as Mark Gibson said, go back to the original intent on that. Uh, one thing I wanted to add to when you look at Hebrews chapter 10 and you read, uh, the verses leading into verse uh, 25, it, it talks about the purpose of why we're coming together is to stir each other up for love and good works. And, and so there is this responsibility that we're having towards one another. And I, and I want to caution people to, to be aware that even if they are in attendance, you know, they got their warm body there present on a pew with their brethren, they can still be forsaking the assembly. 
because of, uh, you know, what's the purpose that they're actually there? Are they genuine and sincere in that assembly? Uh, are they uh, adding to or, or are they uh, just uh, just checking off a box so that people don't get onto them, right, <laughs> to, to keep the peace or whatever? So there's, there's many different reasons that uh, Paul would say that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I mean, what type of lifestyle are you living? Uh, what type of reputation are you establishing uh, for for yourself and for the church? Because people know that you're a member of that congregation. They see what type of lifestyle you're living. That's going to bring a reproach against the church. And so uh, there are many different ways that you can uh, forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Um, and and so be aware of that. You can be present in, uh, in body, but still be forsaking. Those are good thoughts, Nick. You know, Chris, I hopefully hopefully people realize that during COVID, when I think we lost one first day of the week in Oregon, but then we 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 met after that. We were limited to twenty five people a service, but we had about four services. We didn't do a uh, Wednesday night Bible study, and we did an online class. But I think we tried to make it clear this was not a substitute for in-person stuff. And I think maybe some people came out of COVID, they weren't paying attention and somehow they thought it was just as good, that this, this is the same thing. And we tried to make it clear, this is not the same thing. You know, the Corinthian letter as Mark noted, when you come together as a church, and that's a clear contrast from what you're doing at home, okay? That it is a physical thing. And, and not only the Chris, but I don't know, maybe it's on the heels of, you know, people had a virtual pet for a while and they had a virtual farm for a while. They got for the virtual, they got their virtual, virtual identity and they got their virtual house. <laughs> and unfortunately, some people got their virtual girlfriend or boyfriend. And um, I, it just like if someone says, hey, here's a virtual kiss for you. That, that that's not the your your wife says hey where's my kiss uh it's in your email you know there's your virtual kiss in your email. like and it's just as good it's just as good as the physical thing yeah yeah that yeah that 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 i don't it just we fell into this trap of we fell into this trap chris it's a trap of pretend and hopefully we don't a lot of people are pretending there and i hope we're not pretending about worship and the other thing I saw was some people like, well, I'm not going tonight and I'm just going to catch the worship. And it might not even be the worship, but the congregation you're a member of, I'm just going to catch some group out wherever, you know, man, that that's not the same as in person. That's not the same as real relationships. There was, Chris, there was something that someone said a while ago. I, I thought it was good. Nobody cares about the imaginary people, you know. <laughs> okay. All right. It's people care about the real people that you know. Those are my two cents, Chris. Uh, there's a lot of practical things in regard to that. Uh, Nick, I'll have to make a comment that you put in our chat. You know, if having grandma at Thanksgiving dinner via Zoom isn't the same as having her there in person, then Zooming church services isn't the same either. I like that. Yeah. Try to pull that one on grandma and see how, that, how far that goes. A um, couple of the things, too, that I would want to mention that I think that this question also deals with is, you know, when a, when a congregation does have, say, a video type uh, service or a study, let, let's put it that way. Um, I don't really we, we don't stream our services, um, for instance, but I do put out videos uh, for the congregation. They're, you know, studies like right now I'm going through the book of Mark. Um and uh, people can tune into that anytime. I've had brethren come to me. It's like, are we, do we have to watch this? You know, in other words, I had people sitting there at a certain time when the video would drop because they thought that maybe it was something we were requiring of them as a congregation. Now, let me just, I made it very clear. No, no. <laughs> now, I don't want to let you off the hook because I want you to watch the videos and to learn. And I think it's a part of like encouraging people to have a daily Bible reading. Video studies are just that. They are not worship. They are not assembling together, um, but no one is required to watch Answering Religious Error. No one is required to watch my home congregation's 
uh, you know, videos, the things that we put out there. We do a radio program on Saturday mornings, and Nick Greenman works with me on that. It's uh, hosted and provided by the congregation that I preach for. Uh, but, um, um, you know, we're, we don't require anybody that they have to sit and, and listen to that each week. Uh, that is of the purview of people. And I think that might be where this question is going as well, uh, where it says, I was wondering, does that assembling mean strictly a physical assembly or can it include any type of assembling such as online? In other words, do we as elders of the church require our brethren to sit there and watch a service online? And the answer is that I don't think that we have the right to make that requirement. Um, it'd be nice if we all could all do that. It's great to see you guys' faces here on our streaming service, but we're not in the same room. We're not even in the same part of the state. Are we in fellowship spiritually? Absolutely. But we are not assembling together. And what we're doing today is answering Bible questions in a study type form. So this will never, ever be a substitute for coming together, assembling and worshiping God. And as already been mentioned, partaking in the elements of the worship service. Remember that those things are designed, designed one, for the praise of God, but two, for our benefit. We teach and admonish one another through song. Uh, you know, we partake in a communion together, the Lord's Supper, focusing upon his death. And, uh, you know, the thing about that is, is that's not something I can do by myself. It's not something that I'm authorized to do by myself. And so uh, things to consider. Any other thoughts then on that before we close our program today? All right. Well, the streaming services, as uh, one commenter said, we, we stream for people who are sick and shut in. It's a great service for them. And so, yes, uh, others can benefit from it, but it's not a substitute. If they could, if you are healthy enough to be at an assembly, uh, that's what you're what you're supposed to do. Um, but if you can't, then it's a good service that would be available to to help you continue to remind yourself and to be reminded that uh, your service is to God and your heart belongs to him. And sometimes uh, these things can inwardly strengthen our faith. And so we need to always be exposed to the word of God in every way we can, even if our body limits us from being able to come to, a, to a, an assembly, uh, we can be, uh, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, renewed day by day on the inside, renewing day by day. And so these streaming services can be a benefit to those that can't come, but don't think that that's a substitute for coming if you can come. Those are my thoughts. Okay. All right. Excellent discussion. And certainly it's still one that people are going to uh, consider and struggle with. If we can help clarify anything that we've said, please reach out to us, questions at answerreligiousera.com. And it's one that pops up from time to time. So I'm sure we'll be addressing it uh, from time to time as well. Well, guys, it's been uh, great being with you as always. And uh, we want to encourage uh, everyone to check the replay. We've had some very in-depth conversations about some things today. And maybe we need to clarify some things. So let us know. And um, there are always things, unfortunately, we as the uh, preachers and speakers kind of reflect on later and say, oh, we should have said this. Oh, we should have brought this point up. So uh, from time to time, check our Facebook page. Uh, Brother Terry in particular is always putting articles out there for folks to read. And uh, we just want to aid in the study of, of God's word. Not a requirement, but I, I think that anybody that engages themselves in watching these videos and uh, that's how I was drawn into the brethren here. Uh, and I appreciate it from so much from the very beginning, the things that I've learned. And it has been a wealth of, uh, it, well, it's been an education. And so I, I really appreciate you guys and all that you do. Hopefully we'll see you next week if the Lord wills. And uh, we'll uh, be back with Nick on Tuesday for the live Bible study. And then, of course, uh, the rest of us will try to all be here on Wednesday at noon Eastern time for the live Bible Q&A. I'll make a few uh, parting comments before we leave. And of course, we want to remind you to send your questions in to questions at answeringreligiousera.com. We'll add that to the lengthy lineup of questions that we have. We didn't get any really new questions today. So if something uh, sparked your interest, send that in. And then, of course, uh, join us for the live Bible study next Tuesday at noon Eastern time. And remember, we'll be doing individual lessons from November to December. 
And then uh, beginning January 2024, we're going to begin our new series of studies in the book of Ephesians. So we're looking forward to that. That'll be here before we know it. Start your day with a Daily Answer podcast with Mark Dunnigan every Monday through Friday as early as 5 a.m. Join Bob for Bob's Bible Basics every Monday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, he's currently going through a series of lessons on the ascension of Jesus Christ. There's about four in that. He's covered two, so go back and uh, review those. To Thursday night, a uh, show for women by women called Older Women Likewise. You'll be encouraged uh, by them. So uh, plenty of opportunities to hear the gospel uh, being spoken to for a wide, uh, varied range of an audience here. But as we said before, this is by no means a substitute for your worship to God. And uh, if you don't have a congregation that you are attending, reach out to us. We know preachers all over the world. We'd be happy to get you in touch with somebody who can sit down with you and discuss God's word. So we hope to see you next time on Answering Religious